Hey, hey there. Welcome back to the Prolific Author Podcast. I hope everyone is having a great week of writing and happy NaNoWriMo month. (laughs) We've been doing it for about a week now. Things are going well inside the Facebook group. So if that's something you want to join in with, I'm, I'm really just posting daily uh, word count posts and then people are, are kind of joining in and putting their word counts on and any um, wins or struggles they might have had. So anyway, just something to, an extra thing to do for kind of accountability and, com- and community during uh, NaNoWriMo. So I guess with that, I will jump into the personal update. I don't have a lot to say except that uh, the week's gone pretty well for me with NaNoWriMo. It's really good to be back kind of in the saddle and writing every single day. I actually haven't done that in a while. I write regularly, but not every day because I've been working on other things. So it's actually been really fun. And I feel like I'm really hitting my stride now and getting into the novel that I'm uh, trying to get written. As of today, I've written 16,000 words over the last week. So that's pretty good. Of course, you know, if I had it my way, I would write more like 100,000 words a week as we all would. But of course, that's not terribly realistic but I'm very pleased with how it's going. All right, so I am really excited to get into the interview today. I'm going to do a quick mindset minute and then I will introduce Jenny O'Connor. Welcome to the Prolific Author Podcast. Let's face it, readers read fiction to feel emotion and be transported and transformed. In this ongoing digital revolution where online marketing is always in flux, the only way to create a sustainable author business and live off your royalties is to write transformational stories, market at every stage of the author journey, and cultivate a loyal audience of readers. Fortunately, there's never been more opportunity to make a living as a fiction author. Hi, I'm Liesl Hill, USA Today bestselling author and story clarity coach. When I'm not dictating my own stories about dragons, serial killers, and dystopian worlds, I help other authors write their own transformational fiction, position them as bestsellers, and market them like pros. Join me on the podcast where I give writing tips, marketing how-tos, story advice, and interviews with other authors who are in the trenches just like you and making it work. We are prolific authors. All right, so for the Mindset Minute today... I want to remind you to be thankful. And I know that sounds a little bit cheesy and a little bit woo-woo, but of course, being November, especially in the States where we celebrate Thanksgiving, this is the month to talk about being thankful. And to relate it to writing, remember that when we get writer's block, it's really not about writer's block. It's really not about the words, and it's really not about certainly our ability (laughs) or how good a writer we are. It's really about putting stress on our brain. We try to force the muse, and what that does is it almost creates this fear that we're not going to be able to come up with words, that they won't be good enough, that the story won't be good, or, you know, maybe that we won't be able to find them at all. And so it puts stress on our brain and that actually cripples our creativity. It literally um, paralyzes the muse. Okay. So if you relax and de-stress, then the words will come to you. That's why everybody, you know, figures out their writing when they're out on a walk with nature or in the shower or just, you know, doing the dishes, making something, cooking, you know, whatever it is that that helps you relax, okay? So what does that have to do with thankfulness? Well, it has been proven now through MRIs that when you are thankful, when you are feeling gratitude, the stress center of your brain goes down. You actually feel less stress when you are thankful. So during this coming holiday season, when we all know it's extra stressful no matter who you are or what you're doing, but especially for us writers, it's harder to get our writing done because there's so many events, so many holiday things, so many family parties and dinners and presents to shop for and wrap and, you know, the whole the whole works. It's going to be a lot more stressful on our brains, which means it's going to be harder to get our writing done. So I would just invite you, if you are having a difficult time with that, a difficult time with anything in your life, just take a moment to feel thankful, okay? Feel gratitude. 
and it can be for anything, anything and everything under the sun. Have you got books written? Are you actually published? Be thankful for that. You know how many people don't have books published? <laughs> be thankful for your family. Be thankful for the story that you're writing that brings you so much joy and excitement. Be thankful for having a roof over your head. Be thankful that you're here and that you are maybe, and that you have your health if you do. I hope you do. And if you don't, be thankful for the trial that will make you more humble because it's always difficult not to be healthy, right? But that will make you a stronger and at the same time, more humble person. So just practice gratitude in every part of your life this month, okay? I promise you it will help you with your writing. Even if you can't quantify that directly, it will definitely help you because your brain will be less stressed and the writing will just come easier. Okay, I am very excited to introduce Jenny O'Connor. Now, anyone who follows me very closely, I was actually on her podcast, The Everything Enthusiast, um, just a few weeks ago. But Jenny is super fun to talk to. She's super inspirational. And she and I really kind of light each other up and get really excited when we talk because we're so alike. <laughs> um, so... She um, helps multi-passionate people kind of find their jam. She helps them be productive and, you know, figure out how they can be multi-passionate, but also successful. I, I think we all know that when we try to do too many things, we tend to get bogged down in it. But that doesn't mean that we can't be multi-passionate. It just means that we need a slightly different roadmap, roadmap to get there. So Jen, Jenny's going to talk about all kinds of things that will be very helpful, I think, especially for authors, because even if you don't consider yourself a multi-passionate author, you're probably multi-passionate about something. Okay, we have a lot of different things to do. I think even if they're all under the same umbrella of just authoring or writing, there's so many different tasks that we have to undertake, right? We have to write, we have to edit, we have to network with other authors, we have to email, we have to market, you know, we've even on marketing, we've got seven different ways to do that, seven different types of ads, all that. And so I think a lot of what she says here is very valuable for anybody who's feeling stressed out and has a lot of different aspects of their business to pay attention to. And heaven knows that's us, that's authors, right? But I also consider myself a multi-passionate person in general and a multi-passionate author because I write in many different genres. So uh, everybody buckle up and listen to what Jenny has to say. She's super fun and I think you're really going to love the interview. All right. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Prolific Author Podcast. I'm here today with Jenny O'Connor, who is a podcaster herself and also a budding writer. How are you today, Jenny? I am wonderful. How are you doing? Good, good. Why don't we start off by you just tell everyone who you are and what you do and a little bit about your writing. Sure. So I'm Jenny O'Connor. I have been writing professionally for actually almost two decades now, which sounds a bit crazy, <laughs> um, but copywriting, uh, content marketing, that kind of thing um, for a variety of different industries like real estate and finance and cannabis and health and wellness. And I think it kind of goes without saying that when you're working for the man, it's not really creatively satisfying. <laughs> so oh, yeah. I'm very excited to say that I am uh, 35,000 words into my very first novel. So nice. Nice. yeah, it's, it's really exciting. It feels real. Um, and so, so I'm just super stoked about that. And then when I'm not writing, I am what I like to call a facilitator of greatness <laughs> for <laughs> multi-passionate people who want to make a living with their creative endeavors and learn how to self-promote without feeling slimy about it. Good, good. And yeah, Jenny had me on her podcast just not too, too long ago, a few weeks ago. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is because I'm definitely multi-passionate and I know that there are a lot of authors out there who are. So, you know, what can you say about being, you know, a fiction author and being multi-passionate for those who are, um, what kind of advice would you give? 
Yeah, I, it's so interesting. I feel like multi-passion has become kind of a buzzword lately, but yeah. up until very recently, people didn't know what that was. And everyone who, who identifies as multi-passionate was like really struggling because the, the narrative is, you know, conventional wisdom says you should pick a thing and, you know, get an advanced degree in that thing and do that thing forever. And then you will make six or seven figures and whatnot. And so for those of us who just aren't built that way, that has made us feel like we were doing life wrong. So <laughs> yep. it's been so great to sort of start to like find this community of people who are identifying as this thing and understanding that it's not wrong. And what I tell people that I work with, and I think that is the biggest piece um, around making this work for you is to give yourself permission to pursue all of the things, because as contrary as that sounds, like if I give myself permission to do everything, like I'm just going to be the scatterbrain person that's all over the place, but actually the opposite thing occurs where it is easier to focus on whatever it is that you're doing in that moment, because you no longer have that fear of missing out that you used to, when you would be doing a thing, the responsible thing, the money-making thing, let's say, and this other thing is pulling at your attention and you're like, I can't do that. That doesn't make me money. That's not responsible. That's wasting time. Whatever that story is that you're telling yourself, that's a very, it's hard to focus when that is going on in the background. Right. So I think this give yourself permission really helps in the moment with the thing that you're working on. Because if you know that after you finish what you're doing, your money-making endeavor, let's say you get to go color in an adult coloring book for two hours, just because you've gave, given yourself permission to do that. It's so much easier to finish the thing you're working on. Cause you know, you can, you can eventually do that thing that brings you joy. And I that's, that's been game changing. And the thing is, multiple people have come on to my show and corroborated this very thing that they, right. once they gave themselves permission, they found that they could focus infinitely more easily. So, yeah, yeah. I love that. And I mean, there's a couple of different ways that I kind of want to approach that and talk about it because like, I know for me, I am obviously most of us are creatives are very right brained, but I actually do have a lot of logic and a lot of left brain. And I noticed that some days, I mean, I can plan to the nines, but some days I just don't want to do one or the other. So I end up probably doing the one that I feel like doing, but what you're saying is that actually can enhance our creativity to, or maybe not creativity, probably that too, but enhance our productivity by doing what our brain feels like doing at any given moment. Yeah, I, I really do agree with that. I think I, I just did an episode on on time management and basically my point of the episode was there is no one strategy that's going to work for everybody. There are just components of a time management strategy that I believe are essential. Um, so I really think that anyone who's built the way we are should give themselves some kind of structure, whether that's like a weekly to-do list and within the container of the week, you pick and choose the things that feel the most inspiring at the moment, or even what I've sort of am doing at the, and, and, and my time management strategy changes like to everything there is a season. Um, so I just put the thing on my to-do list that is due that day. And then I have this overflow list. So once that thing is done, I can go to the overflow list and sort of chip away. Those things need to be done, but they're not necessarily time sensitive. And I kind of go through that list in order of what 
sound, what I have the most energy to do right now, if it's a high energy task, what sounds really fun to just check off before the end of my day. And I think that that is, as long as there is a structure in place, and then within that structure, you have the ability to, to feel a little bit free to do what Mm -hmm. needs to be done. I really think that that works best for people with, with squirrel brain. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Yeah. We all have squirrel brain a little bit, (laughs) a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And do you find, do you think that, um, I'm wondering this in terms of genres, because some people stick with one genre, but it's, it's so common now to hear about people branching out to other genres and starting new pen names. And part of it is just because they can, you know, in, in previous traditional publishing models, that wasn't even an option, but now they can do it. Um, but I, I'm, I almost feel like sometimes doing that, I, I don't know that that makes them more productive and I don't know that it makes them smarter in terms of IQ, but at the same time, if you can successfully juggle more than one thing and get it all done and you're creating, you know, products or books in different genres, I almost feel like that gives you some sort of edge over those who just stick to one. Um, it's almost like learning multiple sides of a business or learning, um, you know, different, I don't know how, how, what I'm trying to say, learning the different aspects of the same thing so that you're more of a, of a master across all of them than just one. I don't, I don't know. What are your thoughts about that? I think that bring, being able to bring in a variety of different perspectives, which is something that our minds are uniquely capable of doing. I mean, mm-hmm. I, it's, it's very, I'm loath to say that we would be better writers, let's say, than someone who writes in only one genre. Cause right, I don't right, necessarily yeah. believe that that's true, but yeah, I mean, for me, ultimately, if writing in multiple genres is what lights you up, you are in your zone of genius when you are doing what lights you up. So right. you're writing better in each of those individual genres than, than you would be if you were like, no, my publisher says I have to stay here. So I'm going to stay here. And meanwhile, like a part of you is withering and dying because you really <laughs> want to be writing in this other thing. And that's why you were so inspiring to me was I have for a long time wanted to write horror. And then I started looking into self-development and memoir. And I was like, well, I can't do all of those things. There's that, that's that there's a rule about that and you defy the rules. So I, I think that, um, you know, it, it really is important to follow your joy because when you are enthusiastic and when you are joyful about the process, you are more willing to show up. You are going to be infinitely better. You're at your best, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I agree. I really do think that it can actually enhance your writing to allow yourselves to play in the the various, various areas you want to. Sure. Yeah. I like that a lot. So if you have someone who's multi-passionate and I, I mean, sometimes just logistically, it does take a little bit longer to master more than one thing if you're not, you know, have all your focus on one thing. So when it comes to actually making money for multi-passionate people, I mean, what do you, what do you tell them? Or what is your advice for kind of nailing that down early so they can continue working in their passion? Yeah, it's important to identify what your money-making pursuits are going to be. And so it, again, varies for everybody. Some people are able to sort of like mush a couple of different passions together and make those make money. But in many cases it's pick one and then do these other things as hobbies. Um, or in, in some cases, even like for me, like the copywriting was a good enough job that paid the bills. It wasn't creatively satisfying at all, but I was still writing. I was still honing my craft 
And then I could spend time on the weekends or in my off hours, whenever they might have been working on the stuff that really lights me up. So everyone's going to have, it's going to look differently for everybody, but I think that it's important to identify what, what the biggest need in the market is and have that sort of correlate with what your expertise is. Choose that thing as your money-making thing. And then you can slowly add the other things in, or you can just do those things, things as quote unquote hobbies. Um, but that that's usually how we tackle it. We sort of come up with a strategy for the one that's going to be the most um, immediately lucrative and then kind of build from there. Nice. Yeah. So I guess in, in terms of a writer, it would probably be whatever genre or, you know, writing area is making them the most money and then they can build their more, you know, maybe less lucrative passion genres on the side. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or, or the one, I mean, if you just feel really confident in one, you've been writing in one for many years, like you can absolutely still write in the other ones and play there and then just make the, the one that you feel again, it's that level of expertise. If you feel really confident writing fantasy, then make that your moneymaker and then do the other stuff on the side. I like that. I like that because, um, there's always, there's always talk you hear in the, in the author community about how, um, I mean, of course, there, there's writing to market and then there's following a trend and those are two different things. And people say you really shouldn't write to trend because you're just writing to that trend to try and hop on the money train and then your, your writing ends up not being as good. So, and so people will tell you not to do that. And that, that kind of overlaps a little bit with, you know, finding the one that's the most lucrative and doing that. But you're saying in order to kind of have the best of both worlds, the one that's most lucrative and that you're going to be writing your best, it should always be the one that you have the most confidence in and maybe that you love the most because that's the one that you're going to end up doing the best workout, which is going to translate to sales. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think in the case of writing, it's really where your zone of genius is. It's less about what, you know, people are buying right now, because as you know, trends change. And I think that there's a lot of self-consciousness in writing for what the market wants, mm -hmm. which for me, my creativity is absolutely hindered by that that self-conscious quality. So I just uh -huh. want to be working in my zone of genius again, like enthusiasm is contagious. So if you mm -hmm. love what you're doing, that's going to come through in your work. That's going to make for better work. So do that work there. And, you know, I, I obviously like you want, you want to put some thought into what people will buy, but right. I, I actually would consider that secondary to doing what you love the most. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, um, I mean, that's one of the things I teach in my academy is I, I teach how to hit different points, you know, of, of a story that any reader will connect with, but you can translate those into any genre. So I really believe that um, even if you are writing, you know, possibly a lower, like a smaller audience genre, like one of the things I write is historical, it's definitely a smaller audience than say crime, but you can still get to the point where you have raving fans and, you know, can make lots of money on that genre. But I think, yeah, I think your passion for it is definitely key. Yeah. And the whole time you're honing your craft, you know, mm -hmm. so if you're getting really good at that tiny genre, then you can apply all everything that you learn doing that to something else later that maybe has a greater audience. Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. Good. Good. So um, I, I've listened to several of your shows as well. And from, and from listening to you, you've talked before about something called failure challenges. And I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. I mean, most writers tend to be kind of introverted and especially when they're starting out, they tend to be a little bit nervous to put their work out there and they're nervous about 
um, bad reviews and what people are going to think, what their family's going to think, you know, especially if they're writing something that's <laughs> violent or has sex in it or something. So, so tell us about your fa failure challenges. Yeah, this is one of my favorite ways to deal with imposter syndrome, which of course is something that all creatives face like yes. almost every day. <laughs> so, um, I actually, this idea came from this woman, her name, I think is Kristen Hadid and she has her employees write failure resumes. Um, so they go through their entire life and they look at their biggest failures and then they write them down and then they write down what, uh, they learned from it. Um, and I sort of, I, I liked taking that idea and then using the concept of exposure therapy. When you're scared of something, if you expose yourself to it over and over again, you eventually sort of become numb to it. Um, mm -hmm. and so I have people kind of create a list of all of the things that they know they need to do to be successful at what they're doing, but that are daunting. And then we sort of rank them. We pick the tiny things. And sometimes something daunting on your list is like going to the DMV. It's just, if you feel there's a, there's a fear there that it's going to take forever and it's going to be a huge pain and you're going to forget the things you need and have to do it again. Like add that to the list too. And then, and big things like going live on Facebook and, you know, like being a guest on a podcast that might give you a lot of anxiety, put all right. of those on a list. And then we slowly start chipping away at them. Like you can do one a day or a couple a week. And it's really good if you're in an environment, like when I do group coaching, where, where you're in an environment with like, where everyone's supporting you, but the, you, you set the goal to be, to fail because that failure is going to teach you something. Right. And it's also like 99 times out of a hundred, if you do fail, it's so much less terrible than you expected it to be. Like, you know, right. you think the sky is going to fall. Your entire family is going to abandon you. Like, it's just going to be this big Epic thing. And it ends up being like, nobody cares except for you, <laughs> you know, and every day that you do one of those things and you fail and you're like, eh, big deal you become stronger, you strengthen that courage muscle. And then the big things, the going live, the being a guest on, on a podcast mm -hmm. are, are way less. And, and you know, you're like, all right, I've done this before. Like this is old hat for me. Right. Um, but the other really great thing about doing these failure challenges is that you're getting stuff done that, you know, you need to get done. And most of the time you're not failing. So yeah. that's the other thing that you learn is that you think you're going to, and most of the time you won't. So it, it's just a win, win, win yeah. <laughs> with these things. So yeah, they really, it works really well, um, for, for as a courage building exercise. Yeah. I like that. And I, I actually, I do like the way that you describe that as exposure therapy, because what most people don't realize is once they do it a few times, I mean, they have to do it and then it'll just naturally be fine. Yeah. Um, but most people just won't do it the first time they get to, because I, I did that when I, for the first few times I went live, which was like in 2020, early 2020, I was terrified. I was terrified to go on camera. And I only had a couple of people that was on the live with me. And I remember the first time thinking it was horrible just because I was so nervous. I was like shaking the whole time and everything, yeah. but I kept doing it. And by like the third or fourth time, that was only three or four times I got done. And I went, huh, I just did that whole thing. And it wasn't hard. You know what I mean? And that's all it took. It was like two weeks, four times. That was it. And so it's like, if you just do it, even if you hate it, even if you're going, oh, I hate doing this. I don't like this. You know, it just, you'll get there. You just have to do it a few times. 
Yeah. And you, and you can't, you have to learn by doing, like I can tell people mm-hmm. and they can be like, okay, yeah, that sounds great. But you, you absolutely must like get in there. And, but, and so that's where the support comes in. And even if you're doing this on your own, just get a buddy an accountability buddy and do it with them. Right. And you guys can cheer each other on and, you know, pat each other on the shoulder when it doesn't go as well as you expected. But that that's the beauty in it is that like your worst case scenario never happens. Yeah. So that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Well, and the other thing I teach too, I actually do teach some brain chemistry sort of things about, I mean, it's more really about creating habits, but once you do something, your brain creates a pathway to do it again and it becomes more easy. The only reason you feel the fear is because you've never done it before. You know, once you do it one time, no matter what happens, whether it's, you know, you crash and burn or not, it becomes easier to do again. So it's just a matter of taking control of your own brain really, and kind of forcing it to create those pathways to. Yeah. That's that neuroplasticity thing that you talk right. about, right? right? Yeah. You, you kind of rewrite that story. You've had that story going in the background forever that what you, you know, to get where you need to go is so absolutely terrifying. And neuroplasticity allows you to write a different story where like, it's right. not so bad. I got this. Like I've yeah. done this before. So yeah, it, it, that, that is a, I'm so glad that more and more people are realizing that you can retrain your brain to mm-hmm. think different thoughts that will get you infinitely farther in life. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, so for writers, how would you uh, suggest that they start doing that? You know, I mean, I guess the fear challenge, write down what scares them and then what's the next step after that? Yeah. I mean, like I said, find a support network, you know, it, like you have your, your Facebook group, um, for writers. So maybe people could reach out to one another in that group. Um, or even again, just find an accountability buddy and slowly start chipping away at that stuff. Obviously, yeah. if you need some like high level support, you can hire a coach who's going to, you know, cheerlead for you and that kind of thing. But I think that would probably be step one. I'm working with someone right now who's actually, gotten to the point of publishing, like she's published and she's mm-hmm. like over the moon about that. But she's like, now begins the hard work of like, I have to go talk about my book and I have <laughs> to put myself out there. She's like, I have been so comfortable, like, again, being like maybe inherently an introvert, like many of us are been so comfortable behind my computer. And then like COVID happened and I didn't have to show my face to anybody. And so those are the steps now. So she just needs to break down. Okay. Like the first thing I can do is go live. Then I'm going to actually have to like show up for a book signing and and do a little talk. And so it like sort of rank those in order of least to most scary and -hmm. start with the, the one that's, that's tiny and overcome that. And then you'll just get braver and braver as you go along. Yeah. Yeah. And for writers, a lot of times, I mean, there are plenty of writers who will never go live because they just don't really use that as part of their business, but sometimes it can be hitting publish on that first ad or hitting publish on the book or, um, you know, hitting send on the first email, things like that. Reaching out to, to an agent, you know, I mean, like you could start at the very beginning, all of that stuff is scary. So, Mm -hmm. so yeah, you just have to figure out what your step one is, what needs to happen next in, in order for me to progress and, and then get like a team of supporters together and tackle that thing and then just keep going. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So, um, I know that you also are a big proponent of journaling, which so am I. So what, how does journaling fit into everything? Uh, do you do morning pages? No. Okay. Um, the artist way by Julia Cameron was, Mm -hmm. I I think probably the first like self-development related thing I ever read in my very early twenties. 
Um, and I love the idea of morning pages, which is three pages, stream of consciousness, first thing after you wake up. And admittedly, I'm not doing that right now. My morning routine has a bunch of other things in it. And if I don't pick and choose, I won't start my day until 2 PM. <laughs> the struggle is real, but, uh, but I love morning pages for, um, kind of skimming off the fluff. Like I think that after I do morning pages, I can focus on my real writing and those sort of more distracting thoughts like, Ooh, I need to do laundry today are sort of already gone. Um, so that isn't any sort of structured journaling, but I think that it is so useful to anyone who engages in creativity every day. You can mm -hmm. kind of just get the, get the junk out of the way. And then you're sort of at your best to just go and do the thing. Um, but I also love journaling for exploring your subconscious, you know, finding mm -hmm. out maybe if you have a limiting belief around something, um, you know, if you just start writing and you go into a story, you can almost like find where that belief came from. Right. Um, and that is the first step to like this whole neuroplasticity thing that we're talking about. That's that first step is figuring out what the old story is so that you can work on writing a new story. So I use journaling with everyone that I work with, because I just think it's so, so important to like, get, get inside yourself. Um, yeah, and again, yeah. without that self-conscious component, like find out what's really going on inside. Mm -hmm. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I'll have to try the morning pages thing because I do find sometimes that I have a hard time buckling down and focusing first thing. So I've got a lot of other thoughts on the brain, so I can totally see that being the case. But the other thing I was thinking is that, I mean, I, I tell people to journal specifically around when they're trying to increase their word count and their, the amount mm -hmm. of writing they do and to write down specifically what their trials were, you know, why they got stuck, where they got stuck, you know, and to, because it's really just about being self-aware about what the problems are, which is if you don't do that, you would just kind of, you know, okay, got to do other things now. And you would never realize where your problems were or what they were. Um, but I also, I was thinking while you were talking that it's also a little bit like free writing, which I teach if they get stuck plot wise, if they end up, you know, getting stuck about what's going to happen in their story, if they just kind of relax their brain and free write, then the muse kind of comes and they'll end mm -hmm. up working it out pretty quickly. Um, so I almost feel like journaling is a way to, we always talk about the conscious versus the subconscious and we're technically can't tap into the subconscious because it's subconscious, but I feel like journaling is a way to purposely tap into the subconscious and it kind of brings everything to the surface that we're questioning and answers all of our questions almost. I, I don't know what you think. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And I, I love the idea of having, so I actually said that every time management system, no matter how it looks, should have that review piece, that, that reflecting back on what worked and what did it. And that's essentially what you're having your students do with that journaling exercise. And I think that that is so important because only then, only like with everything, only once you identify what your sticking points are, can you overcome them? If you just close down the computer for the day and then open it up again, again, the next day without reflecting on that, you're going to run into the same obstacles, you know, which right, is the definition right. of insanity, right? So yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I think that that sounds super valuable to, to have that reflection piece. In fact, I'm going to incorporate it into my writing practice. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I even, I even have, I mean, it's, it's not quite the same thing, but I even teach that as part of like the internal character arc that there needs to be a moment when your character reflects. And it's because it's so human 
And it's, it really is that reflective moment is like sort of the key or the gateway that always transforms us. So that's what transforms the character, but it's true of human beings too. You know, we don't, um, you always hear about when people start doing the, the internal work and the self-help and that sort of thing. And they're just amazed how well it works and how different they are. And there's, so, <laughs> there's so many people, and I know it's hard for writers because they're going, we already are writing so much and you're asking us to write more by journaling. But I've had students that have been a little bit, uh, maybe skeptical and then they're going, oh my gosh, I started doing that. It's working. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Most people don't want to do it, but when they do it, they're amazed how well it works. <laughs> yeah. But, and again, I mean, that's because it's just free form and not mm -hmm. like part of your word count like that to me anyway, sounds like fun. Like, okay, now, now I'm off now I can just relax. And, and so even better for calling up some of the, the unconscious things. Um, right. but I, yeah, I, I hear you. It's a lot of writing to do in a day, but if you can see it as not work, the not, not work portion of your work day, then, <laughs> yeah. then I think that you could sort of wrap your head around, around doing it without, without too much resistance. Yeah. And I think a big part of it is I always call it relaxing your brain, but it's really taking the stress out of it so that you're just relaxing and doing it. So how important do you think that is for anybody who's, you know, trying to write or trying to be multi-passionate? Oh my gosh. I, I, I just, and that was such a lesson for me to learn because I art for art's sake was not a thing I did for years and years and years, because if it wasn't a money-making endeavor, like I felt like it was just a waste of time. And one of my favorite things to do now is to just, like I said earlier, color in an adult coloring book, mm -hmm. which serves no end game whatsoever. <laughs> it is just like how I bring my stress levels down. It is the right. thing that makes me feel I lose time as you, as you do when you're in the flow of doing anything, but it, that's not work. That is simply play. And to me, that is a two hours, so much better spent than two hours watching Netflix or something. Mm -hmm. So I, it's important. I think for anyone who is creative to, of course it is. That's when you get your best ideas, isn't it? Right. Like when you're walking or in the shower or doing right. something mindless. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's, that's crucial. And something I had to train myself to put into my daily routine. Mm -hmm. And I think too, I mean, I think everyone just has to, I was going to say, it's funny. I don't, I don't do actual adult coloring books, but I have a coloring app on my phone that I'm totally addicted to. So it's pretty much the same thing just digitally. Um, but even if it is Netflix or even if it is, you know, whatever it is you do woodworking, it, I, I always notice that it, a lot of times it's something you do with your hands or something physical, because then mm -hmm. you can do something physical and let your mind wander. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've actually found that I absorb even like when I'm watching TV or, or listening to, it's probably because I started listening to podcasts. I can actually absorb it better by doing something with my hands than actually just like watching the television. You know what I mean? Because I can hear it and I'll like look up if I need to see something on the screen, but I actually absorb it better if I'm doing something and just listening to it. You know what I mean? And I, like I said, I'm sure that's a, a crossover from podcasts, but I think it's kind of the same thing. Your, your brain is more awake than you think it is when you're doing something mindless. I think. Yeah. I mean, that is also something that is a skill that you clearly have, have trained yourself to do, because I know that a lot of people, when they first start listening to audiobooks and podcasts have to train themselves to focus on listening, Yes, yes. you know, so multi, I would say if you're in that phase, don't multitask, <laughs> just <laughs> listen, sit still focus. But sure. Once you want, cause that again is a muscle. And once that becomes easy right. for you, I, you probably do open yourself up to absorb more. If you are engaged mm -hmm. in something mindless, like washing the dishes in yeah. the background. Yeah, I agree. Right. 
I mean, I still to this day go on walks and listen to podcasts and it's like one of my favorite things to do, you know? So yeah, yeah I, 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 bike rides, bike rides and podcasts are like the best afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, um, another thing you talk about a lot is bravery. So how important is bravery to the multi-passionate creative? Well, it's in working with this particular, uh, subset of people, I discovered that it's three things they really struggle with. Clarity is one focus and productivity is two. And this courage piece is the third. And it is the one that I am the most passionate about because like a little backstory on me is that I have always lived an unconventional life and done things that people have been like, aren't you scared to do that? That like, I, I solo camp in the middle of nowhere for 10 days at a time. Um, or I traveled to a foreign country where I didn't speak the language. I didn't know anybody. And I lived there for three months and I was always doing these things that people, and, and it never dawned on me. Someone would say, aren't you scared? And I would be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so I kind of, I kind of had to realize that people considered these things. And some people would not consider traveling brave at all. And I get that, but some people did. Right. And yet I was hiding from my own creativity, like not putting myself out there. And my heart breaks a little to think of the time that I wasted. And so it has sort of become my mission to ensure that that doesn't happen for anybody else. Mm -hmm. So being visible, I think is a thing, especially for women, but in general, for people who create that's so, so scary because when you make art, the like the entire, you know, you, you're doing it for you. And if you never show it to anybody, then that's fine. But really the, the end game is to like, hold it out and say like, look, I made this. And that is such a scary thing because this, this shame that we all just sort of came up with, you know, it's maybe an ancestral wound. I'm not even sure. It just goes back and back and back, but mm -hmm this notion that if we put something out, we might feel shame. We might, it might get ridiculed. People might laugh us off the stage. Um, you know, they, they might tell, and we attach our own self-worth to our product, which, mm -hmm. which is something I teach not to do. You made a right. thing, that thing didn't work. That's not that you are a failure. Um, so I bravery it, being visible specifically is the thing that I really try to help people do. I do that through the fear challenges. I do a lot around, um, imposter syndrome. And my other favorite thing is, um, making accomplishments boards. So everybody knows what a vision board is, but everything mm. on your vision board is something that you don't yet have. Right. So it's almost right. a reminder of what, where you're not there yet. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. They, they can backfire sometimes if you're not in the right headspace, but an accomplishments right. board is going through everything that you've ever done that you're even a little bit proud of mm -hmm. and putting that on a board. And you, so you can look at it every day. And for me, like, because I've done so many things in my life, I have like most beautiful plate of sushi I ever made. I have a welcome home banner from the kid in my life that I love more than anything. Um, you know, and, and so it, and photos of friends, like I'm a good friend. That's something that's on my accomplishments board. And I, I majored in costume design in college. So I have a bunch of old costumes I made. And that for me has been the biggest antidote to imposter syndrome. And it's mm -hmm. right next to my bed. So I see it every day when I get up. And I just think that that does wonders for training your brain to know that you are capable and you are great at things and you are unique. You are unlike anybody else out there. And I, that, that 
is that is the thing that I think helps facilitate bravery for my clients more than anything else. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And I mean, for writers, I, I think you should, like you said, do accomplishments across your whole life, but you could do different things like how many books you have, even if you don't have any books, have you started a manuscript? Because 99% of people who say they want to write a book have never started a manuscript, you know, yes. have you even won any awards? Ideas, you know? Yeah. yeah. If, if you have like, if, even if you went to your critique group and got a particular critique back and people were like, this was amazing. Like put that on there, you know, like mm -hmm. it, it, I think the problem is that we sort of feel like we have to have a finished thing in order mm -hmm. to call that yeah. an accomplishment. And that's what learning about multi-potentiality and multi-passion has taught me is even the projects you've just started make you fascinating. Yeah. You, know, you don't have to have finished them. You are, you are the most interesting person at the cocktail party. You're the one I want to talk to, you know? <laughs> and so even for a writer, you just have to find those things, those moments when you finished writing and went back and read what you wrote and were like, who wrote that? That's good. You know, yeah. you know that happens yeah. to you, right? Where you're like, who wrote that? I do that all the time. I'm like, I can't believe that wasn't me. That was something being channeled through me. Those moments are the ones that you have to hold on to and remember because that's what keeps mm. you going when you feel bad. You wake up and yeah. you feel bad later on. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, that's that's actually something I could work on. I know that, I, I don't know why I do this. Maybe it's some sort of <laughs> subconscious fear or something, but I don't, I don't ever talk to people in my life about what I'm working on now. I'm more likely to talk about something I already worked on or something I'm going to work on in the future. Um, but nobody ever knows what my current project. I mean, I have a critique group, they know, but you know what I mean? I just don't talk about it very much, but I think what you, what you said is really valuable. I mean, th there's all kinds of proverbs about that, right? Life is about journeys, not destinations and the struggle, God and the details, they're all in the journey. So that's what you should be proud of the journey. You said, and I, the other thing I was going to say too, is whatever you're doing, I think you just need to own it. Yeah. Not only because that makes you more confident, but it actually cuts down on the ridicule you'll get. Because when you own something, people can feel that and the haters are less likely to hate on you because they know they're not going to get anywhere with you and the, it will draw the more positive people to you. So I always say that even if you're doing something I like completely don't like and disagree with, just, just own it for heaven's sake, you know, and then you will be a better person for it, you know? Yeah, a hundred percent. Enthusiasm is contagious. I think it's so important to be excited about what you're doing because again, like that's when you're doing your best work. So that's, right. that's a very good argument for sharing what you're working on now with people and showing them how so you're into it. You're so excited <laughs> about it. Like, yep. yeah, that that's huge. That's huge for your own psyche, but it also like, it lets people cheerlead for you, you know, I was going to say, doesn't that great. help make you visible yeah. to be, to be enthusiastic? Like you said, and you're going to, you're so right. You're going to have so fewer haters because when you're just so into it, you're just so excited. Like that's really hard to hate on. Like this person yeah. is just, you know, glowing and, you know, super positive and just sort of sending off this energy that feels good. Very few people are going to have a reason to pick on that, you know? Right. Right. You know, I heard a story recently about a, um, it, it kind of wasn't a, an enthusiasm thing, but it was, it was kind of along the same lines. It was a, a Hollywood actor and I, I won't name who specifically, but he went to do some research for a film he was working on with some pretty, you know, salt of the earth people. He just kind of went and was talking to them, getting to know them, that sort of thing. And he knew that their politics were very, very different than his. And so he was really nervous about it. But what he said when he came back from it is he said, well, you know, I might not still agree with their politics, but they are 
unapologetic about who they are and what mm -hmm. they believe. And he was genuinely impressed with them, even though they disagreed on some issues. And so I think it's kind of the same thing, like just be unapologetic about who you are, especially as a creative, you know? I like to use the example of when someone is dancing, like a band is playing and they're dancing and they're terrible. They are a terrible <laughs> dancer. And you're just like, oh my God, but they are in it. They are feeling it. They, they do not care what anyone thinks their eyes are closed. They're just like in the, in the vibe. And you might have that initial mean girl reaction. Like I, I will admit that that happens to me sometimes, but, but it goes away because what it's replaced with is God, what, what must that be like to be mm -hmm. that fearless, to be that so in the zone in the moment that you just don't give any crap about what people think, you know, like I, right. I, I admire that. And I think that other people do too. And that's that whole owning it piece is that very few people are, I mean, unless they really are just very uncertain about who they are as people, Yeah, you know? Yeah. Well, I was, I was going to say that I was going to say psychologically, the people who are hating on that it's because on some level they're too afraid to do it. So they don't yeah. like it that oh, they're, yeah, they're, they're jealous. intimidated by it. Yeah. Right. Right. hundred percent. Exactly. So yeah. yeah. Own it. Be enthusiastic about it. Even if you're dancing badly, that's awesome. <laughs> I love it. Well, you and like you, you said, it, in terms of the failure challenge, maybe you should make a goal to dance badly <laughs> just so that you can learn from it, you know, and yeah. And thicken your skin a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've joked with people about like, give your number to a, like a cute boy, like, you know, do and, and, and set the goal to fail so that you're not like, oh man, it didn't work out like that. You, the, you win if you fail, but you also right. win if you don't fail. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Great. Well, this has been such a fun conversation. Thank you so much for coming on and, and kind of filling us with joy today. Um, do you have any last minute advice or words you want to dispense to the authors listening? I, it's, it's just that permission piece, like let yourself. So if for people who are multi-passionate, we don't have things laid out for us. Like if you went to school to be a lawyer or a doctor, like that path is pretty clear. And there are mm -hmm. classes that teach you what to do next for us. We don't have a roadmap like that. So the best roadmap is to follow your joy. I just think that is the, as long yes. as you're doing that, it, it won't steer you wrong. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. And I think I've thought that about myself too. Like other people, sometimes you feel like they find who they are and what they're supposed to be so much faster than you do, but that's exactly what makes you special and what makes you different. So just embrace that. hundred percent. Yeah, I agree. Oh, thank you so much. So when, where can people um, find you and follow you and interact with you? Yeah. So my website is jennyoconnor.com. That's Jenny with an I E not a Y and O'Connor <laughs> with an O R not an E R. I always have to specify. <laughs> and my podcast is called the everything enthusiast. That's anywhere where you listen to podcasts. And I've got a bunch of um, great freebies on my website, you know, 21 days to your dream job for people who are looking for clarity. Um, and you know, a procrastination quiz, if you want to know why you stand <laughs> in your own way, um, so come download those freebies. If you think those would be beneficial to you and check out my podcast and yeah, that's it. Yeah. Great. Everybody do that. Jenny, thank you so much for being here today. This was so much fun. Thank you, Lisa. This is wonderful. I appreciate it. 
Okay, how did you feel about that interview? Isn't Jenny fun? Make sure and go listen to her podcast because it's really super great and uh, follow her on all of her other platforms. So the only thing that I wanted to say uh, after the interview here, I don't think I need to say a whole lot because it pretty much spoke for itself, but I really thought it was interesting when we talked about how we should tell people what we're working on. And that's something, it really struck home with me because that's something that I don't really do. People know that I'm a writer for sure. People in my family, they do. And most of them have my books. I don't know how many of them have actually read them, but they try to support me when a new book comes out, they'll buy it. And, you know, so it's not like they don't know what I do or that I'm, you know, living the life of a hermit in my basement or anything like that. But I really don't talk about my current works in progress. And, and I didn't even realize I was doing that. Like, it's not like I don't talk about it on principle. I just didn't even realize that I don't do that. And if I did, I think people would be more involved in it and they would see me more and understand what I'm working on more. And um, I remember my brother telling me that he had read one of my books and he said, oh, they're so good. They're so good. Why don't you ever talk about them? And that was like two years ago. And I was just kind of brushed it off. I didn't really think much of it. And so that's kind of going to be my goal, my little thing that I work on moving forward is trying to talk about my writing more and talk about especially my work in progress, what I'm working on right now. And I think that's hard because sometimes we don't want to bore people and we're afraid that they just don't care and don't really want to know. And there will be some people who don't and you'll be able to tell because they'll, you know, their eyes will glaze over, they'll get bored and it's not anything to take personally. You'll just know that they're not that interested. But the holiday season is upon us. So we're going to be hopefully seeing family a lot and seeing friends a lot and being in gatherings a lot. So it's kind of the perfect opportunity to test this out and see, you know, if you just put yourself out there and talk about what you're working on, your work in progress and be specific. Don't just say, I'm writing a romance. Talk about what it's about. I'm writing a romance where uh, this gal meets this guy and this is what happens and be excited about it and, and just gauge the reaction. I mean, if you get a negative reaction, you just, you don't have to do it again, right? But I don't think you will. I think you'll find that people will be excited because you're excited, which is what Jenny was talking about. It will help you to be seen as an author and it will get them more involved and what's the word I'm looking for? More invested in your work. So I'm actually looking forward to that and I really want to try it out. Hopefully I don't get too busy and forget. <laughs> but as I said, the holidays are a great time to do it. And so um, that's what I'm going to do. And I invite you all to do the same and just try it out as an experiment and have some fun with it and try to be seen when it comes to being an author and your writing. Okay. That's it for today. I hope that you found some value in that interview and that you have a great week. Those who are doing nano, good luck. Keep up the good work. You're doing fabulous. You're doing fantastic. Remember, whatever you get done, even if you don't hit your word count or the one that you planned for, you're still going to have a lot more than when you started. So don't stress out about it. Just keep plugging along. Have fun. Try not to get too stressed out with the holidays. Be thankful. And I'll see you back here next week. And as always, remember, there is always a market for awesome me again. Before you go, if you found value in this episode, I would love it if you could leave me a review. Reviews are the best way to show your appreciation and help others find this podcast. Be sure to screenshot it, share it on your favorite social media network, and tag me at LK Hill Books. Remember, the world needs your stories. Only you can change someone's heart with your fire-breathing dragons, your mind-blowing mysteries, your epic romances, and your intense thrillers. So join the revolution and be a prolific author.